welcome to the first episode of Joyfulness Broadcast, where really we're about getting past the bullshit and to the truth and broadcasting insight and information and inspiration that can help lead to a more joyful life. So on this first episode, we have my friend Eric Brown from High Existence, which is a community about a community of students of life asking the big questions. And I'll let Eric say any other words about yourself. <laughs> Dude, no, just really nice to be here. Um, I appreciate I appreciate you taking the early steps here. Um, a lot of these a lot of these ideas and experiences don't get a lot of airtime right now. Mm. Kind of that's just the way common culture has been set up. So really appreciate you making the space and diving into this stuff. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for being here. So you gave me a list of topics we can choose and I chose a good one for myself and hopefully for the listeners, they'll like it as well. Really about stoicism and the principle that nothing external can harm you, which really is just more of a universal principle. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll let you riff away. Where do we start? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the background was just, you asked me if there was shit on my mind and took a few minutes to to see what was coming up and, you know, we're recording in what the beginning of April, 2020. So the world is right in the middle of coronavirus and we've been talking as a team, just seeing how we relate to this and, you know, there, all of our team has a, an affinity for stoicism and stoic philosophy we've released a like a full course on it called the stoic quest like really really trying to dig deep into it because it is a actually backpedaling a little bit you know philosophy used to be like a way of being in the world it, it was more like an embodied action-based thing whereas nowadays it's kind of become a little academic a little heady but it, it used to be just a very pragmatic, like practical, like this is how you should conduct yourself. And this is how a good human operates in the world. And Stoic philosophy was almost just lost entirely to the world. And it's having, it's having a revitalization, which is beautiful. But one of the, one of the fundamental concepts that some Stoics present is this notion of the Stoic fork. And it's, it's just a dichotomy of where to give your attention, energy, and, and effort, and like what should you actually care about. And so the fork is basically things you can control and things you can't control. Really simple. And they basically just put forward the case, you should only care, like full stop, you should only care about the things that are in your control. Period. You should not care, or the way they put it is you should be indifferent to the things that are not in your control. And when you, when you dig into it and you really kind of touch base with that, the only things you can control are like your attitude and your actions. Cause like, you know, you don't control when you get sick, you don't control when people around you die, you don't control what happens in the world, you don't control the weather, you don't control your job. Like as much as you think you can influence that, again, the only influence you have is through the actions you take. So really, you can only control your attitudes and your thoughts and your actions, right? Mm. And so therefore, you should really only care about those things and really put your time, 
attention and energy into them. And this loops back into, well, nothing external can harm you because everything external is out of your control. Therefore, you should be mostly indifferent to it. But it, it, goes, it goes a step further into saying, you're really only harmed when you believe you have been. An example is like, well, I don't know, let's try to take a really extreme example. Let's say you like lose your arm, right? Well, it would only be bad if you wanted both arms. Hmm. Imagine you just had some weird goal where it was like, yeah, I just want to try to live my whole life with my left hand. So actually losing your right arm would be amazing. You'd be <laughs> like, fuck yeah, right? It'd be great. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're only, you're only harmed when you believe you have been. It's a, it's a reaction. It's a thing that you put on yourself. But we are so caught up in kind of deluge now with this like victim mentality, right? Mm. That's a word coming into, into common culture now where everyone's just at the mercy of everyone else. It's like, it's your fault. They did this. The economy sucks. It's, it's, it's pushing all your sovereignty and authority just outwards. But, you know, really at the end of the day, like nothing external can harm you. You're yeah. literally only, only harmed when you believe you have been. And if you're indifferent to externals, well, you won't believe that they'll harm you. So you won't be harmed. And it's, this is one, of, this is a classic kind of catch 22 of a lot of like spiritual work or philosophy is like, it's easy to say that it can be way more difficult to actually like live that. Because, you know one of the one of the main proponents of this was epictetus big legendary stoic and you know he was he was limp he was a he was a slave a growing up he was through they don't actually know how it happened but he got a limp right and he had family die and just no matter what happened he's like well it's not my control it didn't harm me wow and like serious shit so like we're talking about like if your family member dies like were you not expecting that like they're a human they were going to die therefore completely natural therefore you shouldn't really be harmed again all the suffering you would be doing is basically ego-based like i wish they were here longer because i like them i wanted them here longer it's all it's still all just internal all mm. your suffering is internal um you know again oh uh it's raining outside that sucks i feel bad it's like well go out in the rain like the same thing the with the coronavirus right the coronavirus i recently saw a linkedin post they said um this is new in humanity all of humanity is in fear and i would uh, no that's not true um the people who have fear are in fear people who don't have fear are not in fear um yes that's an amazing way to understand stoicism i kind of get the essence now hopefully our listeners get the essence as well um and it's just really in alignment with truth because if you when listening to it it sounds universal to me um as a student of hawking's there's really a lot of stuff to do with him i think i'm gonna have to bring up hawking's i can't not bring up hawking's mm -hmm. um but first what you said about you know because the first invalidation that people can make is the hypothetical they go into the hypothetical and say yeah but what if well on the, on one level what ifs have no reality which is what hawking's talks about don't even deal in what ifs because they don't have any reality. The only reality is now with the current conditions. You can't talk about hypotheticals because you don't know. So it's if you go into the hypothetical realm, you're just delving in intellectual 
masturbation really <laughs> that's what you're doing it's like oh what if but what if this variable and change who knows who knows like you know only god knows divinity um but the but to to even like further cement what you're saying about the there are certain people like what was his aris a dog Peters. okay i can't pronounce aris Peters. Peters. all right go with him um mm-hmm. That's awesome to learn about another one because for me, um, I really value those people of integrity and uh, who really live by what, not don't don't necessarily even say anything. It's just the way they are. And one of those people is Viktor Frankl, um, who of course one. I mean, he we could. I mean, for me personally, it's it's like the worst circumstance imaginable. Uh, I see it as uh, where you're literally. For those who don't know, Viktor Frankl was a psychologist who was in a concentration camp in World War Two, and really, what he did was he chose. It was a, it was a, he chose, and he saw that really the last of the human freedoms in these worst of circumstances, where he was literally talks about in his book *Man vs. Meaning*, stripped to nothing but his flesh, and he talks about it with amazing uh, vocabulary and like expression in the book. Um, and he said, well, what is that last thing that I have? And it's really that ability to choose your attitude. You see that it is a truth. It's the last thing that you have. It's really the only thing that you have in your control. Um, and yeah, his quote, uh, paraphrasing roughly, because I don't remember it verbatim, but that the last of the human freedoms is to choose our attitudes, which seems perfectly um, in line with stoicism. In fact, it's to choose um our attitudes regardless of external circumstances Mm -hmm. which is like literally um in line with stoicism which is awesome and your stoicism is just a label so what we can for me what i see from that is that it's just pointing to a truth um Mm -hmm. which is great to know awesome to know that there's an it's it was in another time uh so i also hear that stoicism how does stoicism relate to socrates i'd love to understand that because for me socrates is another one of those individuals who i hold in high regard and i first really i mean i probably heard of him before but the first time it really paid i paid attention was when hawkins said it mm-hmm. he said that that's one of his heroes so straight away i was like what well, that's now my hero <laughs> that's someone i have to hold in high regard now because hawkins holds him in high regard um and yeah and so i have i actually brought up so i'll be ready yes yes this is from i guess socrates was you can you correct me for any mistakes but he was basically teaching something in greece athens correct me for all the mistakes i make um and really he was kind of refuted for that and saying no you can't teach this kind of stuff you have to stop or else you'll be put to death and he out of um, principles or out of his integrity, really, he refused to not teach the truth. And to him, truth was like God. It was like God as the truth. And there's this amazing quote in his last days from, I would assume, in, in Plato's Apology. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he says, Someone will say, And are you not ashamed, Socrates, of a course of life which is likely to bring you to an alt- untimely end? To him, I may fairly answer, there you are mistaken. A man who is good for anything ought not to calculate the chance of living or dying. 
he ought only to consider whether in doing anything he's doing right or wrong, acting the part of a good man or a bad man. Yes, that's a good way to go into Socrates. And I guess that's a, back to the point you made about philosophy starting as a thing that people lived, not as a thing that was just an intellectual um, paradigm of understanding. Mm-hmm. So over to you. <laughs> Riff away. Yeah. This is an amazing this is an amazing example of everything that we just surfaced. If I had to if I had to put it in a sentence, I would say, you know, Socrates was kind of the stoic role model. He was like the one who actually embodied these principles fully. To you know, to your point about his his death, it was again, A, this is not in my control, right? Other people are exerting exerting force. And same thing, you know, you can be locked up doesn't matter right you control your actions and your attitudes um, and because of that because he sh- he was only caring about his actions and his attitudes and he wanted to be a virtuous person right he held to his ideals and was indifferent about the things that he couldn't control to the point that when it came to actually living or dying still indifferent he's like it does not matter i am upholding my virtues and my integrity and so with again like there's there's actually a story about him as well where he he is one of the OGs of just any school of philosophy philosophy at large period but when people would approach him who may not have known who he was and actually ask to speak with a philosopher he would go recommend them to someone else like he wouldn't even call himself a philosopher because it wasn't this intellectual like game he was playing it was just full embodiment he was just a human doing the human thing as well as he could and yeah so he became this essentially ideal like wow i want to be like that because he just mastered the art of only concerning himself with actions and attitudes and if they were virtuous or not and again like i said earlier easy to easy to spout this off easy to talk about it but when someone comes up to you and is like look if you don't stop doing what you believe is right, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to sentence you to death. Like, oh, that's when you actually have to walk the walk. And, mm. you know, you don't really know whether you, whether you would or won't until that moment comes. But, like, he followed through with it. And, you know, this applies to a, a kind of larger topic in Stoicism as well. Just the whole notion that death isn't really that bad right? It's not in your control. It'll come when it comes, like whatever. Again, it's not in your control. So therefore indifferent. So if you die when you're 16, cool, whatever. You die when you're an old man, like cool, whatever. You die sick, whatever. Like, because um, again, this goes back to the body. Like the body was mostly indifferent to them. I can't really control it. I can control to like work out and lift weights, but if my body just randomly gets sick, like not my control. It's also like not my possession. So yeah, Socrates was just this living legend of embodying deep philosophical and deep Stoic principles. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I brought, when you were talking about Socrates, brought tear to, to, tears to my eye. Got anytime I hear mention of anyone that is very, I hold in high regard, it kind of brings, brings up a lot of beautiful mm-hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, well, you know, it'll be interesting is if we go in and maybe try, because you were saying you don't really know until you're there, you know. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how maybe we personally 
look at this principle, you know, to give the listeners, not just these legends, but normal human beings, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do they go about it? How do they go about it? So yeah, first question is how, how do you, do you hold it in high regard? Do you try to embody it in your life? How, how do you go about that? Definitely do my best. It's certainly a work in progress. Yeah. Like anything, this, this is, uh, if it's anything embodied, if it's anything that you act out in your being, it's like a muscle that you can build, right? No one's expecting you to be um, like high level at this after you just start. So to your point, okay, well then what would training this muscle look like? And they basically brought up the idea of something like voluntary suffering. And a really easy example of this is something like going to the gym. Like in the moment to moment, it's actually very difficult, right? You're literally tearing muscles apart. You're fatigued. It's, it's extremely draining, right? But it's done, you know, the, the short-term suffering for the long-term gain, right? Um, so really classic examples of this would be like, take cold showers, like mm-hmm. actually stand there and just be like, I'm totally fine. Like just stand in it rock solid and be like yeah okay i feel this i have the sensory perception of it but like whatever it's outside of me i don't need to concern myself with it and you can find yourself in the space of kind of just watching it watching it happen and it can also just be a, a like a daily habit like literally something's coming up you're feeling bothered you're feeling frustrated you're feeling angry do i have control over this is this my actions or my attitudes? And if no, like, you're just like, okay, why am I being upset by this? What can't, because it also gives you an empowering flip where it's like, okay, well, what about this? Can I try to influence? You know, um, you have a, you have someone being mean to you at work or something, right? It's like, okay, well, I can't control their actions, but what can I do? Can I try to avoid them? Can I directly confront them and speak to them and just be like, hey, when you say this to me, this is how it it lands for me. Um, So there are a whole bunch of ways that you can just like build it in slowly and slowly to, to, to the point where when something major comes up where it's like, holy shit, there's like a, a global pandemic going on. It's like, okay, well, it's happening. I don't need to suffer needlessly for it. What then can I do? And actually, it's it's in times like this where you see, you can see in the responses of people the work that they've done on themselves. Mm. Some people, some people just freak out, right, and start panicking, put their heads in the sand and run away, right. Some people freeze, have no idea what the fuck to do, because it's it's all just overwhelming and they feel, yeah, completely overwhelmed by things. And then there's a small group of people who are like, oh, oh, things just got real here, okay. This is serious. What can I control and how am I going to frame this for myself and move forward? Mm. And so it's this great like scaffolding you build for yourself. You build a really strong foundation so that when things actually do get tough, you don't just crumble because you're, you didn't have a foundation in the first place. Mm. Yeah. So you can see how that's actually very, it's a practical thing <laughs> to actually want to, be be this way in the world um that can really help us in every area of life really where we're able to because what what it is is we're able to we're focused like the fork thing we're focusing all our energy on the 
that which we are able to influence rather than really indulging in that which we can't <laughs> and yeah. kind of the self-pity and and all that and really when, when you really look at that i mean to me when i look at that um behavior of kind of like freaking out or uh of, of really exaggerating making it seem like a really big deal if you actually look at it it's it's not not dissimilar to a behavior of a child um Mm-hmm. where they're kind of kicking about they're like oh this is horrible this is horrible i don't want things to be this way and a good one i guess the best practical uh example of that is death so I, when i was mm-hmm. at the airport and i was um uh coming back into melbourne and i i was speaking to someone and he was also going back to australia and then i just told him i just i'm like well you know eventually we'll all die anyway so it doesn't matter <laughs> and then this guy's uh much older than me and he says oh no you know i want to i want uh, not not yet not yet i plan on living at least until 80 at least until 80 so you see you can see in there the like the inner child that wants to have its way you know it's the same way like no i want this toy not that i want this toy right now rather than waiting so um which kind of goes into that point which uh i thought might be brought up today i kind of felt it when i was talking to someone earlier on the phone um is the maturity thing where it's really a immature culture that's what it is but because it's normalized that's that's the norm but you can only really start to see that as you uh work on yourself let's say or delve into yourself start to ask those questions and go into figuring out what it is i mean that's really what it is like who am i (laughs) who am i what is in my control what are these questions and really facing that which does take courage of course the first thing that we have to do is have the courage to um face things as they are because experientially i mean we can say these things but experientially to those people it seems horrible so there is the requirement to like have the courage to just face all the horrible stuff as it is because you only see that it's not horrible later experientially Mm -hmm. it's absolutely terrifying until you walk through it and then you see oh an illusion this whole time yes that's a did you have any points or any any other riffs i like your word riff any other riffs about the uh the maturity of society oh my god endless (laughs) endless amounts man um it's actually amazing when you were speaking we had so much overlap on that point i wrote a piece for high existence literally on death and it just it was from this sentence that that came to me on one of our retreats which is just life is essentially the process of dying gracefully and right now we suck at it like mm-hmm. western culture has an abysmal relationship to the f- the one fundamental truth of your human life which is <laughs> death and it's like this is the one thing that we all are actually going to go through like we should is this the relationship that we want with it because a we've seen that it doesn't have to be the case we think it's the norm but like again ancient ancient greek philosophy had a great relationship with death Um, a lot of eastern cultures have much more much healthier dynamics with dying native american cultures have much better dynamics so actually like you could argue that we are the outlier and we have this to your point i love like the childish i called it an existential temper tantrum like literally (laughs) your words like it's just like this is not good enough i need more like it's only good if i it's only good in quantity and it's like actually that's very dangerous 
because again, this the Stoics were badasses, right? Another one, Marcus Aurelius, probably one of the most legendary Stoics, right? Emperor of Rome at the height of the Roman Empire. Huge, huge practicing Stoic. Um, oh, yeah, he was basically just like, it shouldn't matter how long you live. If you have like three years of living by your virtues, that should be enough for you. Like you have lived a good life. The length is irrelevant. It's actually like, did you do the thing while you were here? Mm. And that, that's why, you know, there, there are a bunch of celebrities who died young, right? 20, 25. And we don't, in some ways we say like, oh dude, that was great. They did so much. Like if only they had more time, but we don't say like, oh, they died early. Therefore their life sucked. It's actually like, wow, they did, they did the thing to their mm. fullest when they were here. Like the time is irrelevant and it's definitely not guaranteed. So it's like, that's, that's a complete mess. But to your point on, on, oh man, to your point <laughs> on the maturity of society, this is, I would actually argue that this is the f- fundamental challenge that we're up against right now. Like it's easy, it's easy to point out all these other like surface manifestations, all the economic, sociocultural, environmental stuff, but like the actual generator function of it, like the thing that at least again, this is kind of my standalone opinion is like, it's the fact that you can't give children powerful technology and expect it to go well. Mm. We have, we have very big tools, right? Like huge empires that people can influence and just ridiculously powerful technology. And if you have immature people who are easily swayed by emotion, who can't create logical arguments, like that is literally a recipe for disaster. And it's playing out right now in front of us like when something serious is happening in the world and no one can create a response they're just bickering and going back and forth and playing narrative warfare it's like no (laughs) like no we need we need mature sovereign people doing this stuff and probably the biggest thing for me in this space and it's something like we're actually trying to work on particularly with our retreats is like well, we've lost the initiatory practices that made people mature adults, namely mm. like the rite of passage. That that concept is completely gone in modern culture. Like it's it's just, it doesn't exist. The closest thing we have is like the bar mitzvah in Jewish yeah. culture, which yeah. is mostly for show now. Mm. Like it's like you get some money, you do the thing. The kids oh yeah, I had a bar mitzvah. It was, I mean, yeah. for me, it was just... Uh... I just went along with it. It didn't really mean anything to me, you know? Yeah. But it's like, and that, that is the point. Like normally these things serve two really important points. One is they, they basically facilitated the death of the child, Mm. right? Like your life as a child is now over. And, you know, often they used to be major things like week long vision quests in the woods, deep ceremonial experiences, like really very challenging things where it's like, yeah, you're 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 dead. You're you're now a man. And so that was the one thing. It did it on an individual level. But the second thing was that when the whoever did come back from those things, they were viewed as a mature adult by the rest of the culture and given mm. adult responsibilities. But that does not exist at all now. Well, well, I'll, get, I'll tell you what, because that's a good, 
so that's also something that I, I remember writing about or saying or like it's something that also kind of arose for me is that um our rites of passage or our uh yeah we could what's ceremony for adulthood um mm-hmm. really although it's not conscious what it is is getting drunk i can remember that was my <laughs> first excitement was being able to drink and that's actually if you look at it as children what we see is we see the adults drinking having like and that's what we see as adulthood um mm-hmm. And that was the rites of passage. So really you can kind of go to a nightclub and you can see the maturity level without, like, this isn't saying it. I think this just has to be clarified because this isn't judgmental. It's um, really just like objective. <laughs> you just look at it and you see the maturity level of our society is reflected by society. I mean, that's an obvious one. Um, so you see, you go to nightclub and you see everyone just getting drunk. That's kind of like the normal thing. Everyone gets really that's that's what adulthood is that's mm-hmm. that's our ceremony that's our ceremony and yeah you compare that to um cultures which i remember charles eisenstein talking about once and he's saying how there was one particular culture somewhere don't remember where but they had they would send out at 16 or something you would have the option to go out into the world by yourself all you have is like a piece of uh thing that you wrap around yourself like cloth thing to keep yourself warm whatever that's mm-hmm. called um and it has 365 threads in it and yeah you go out into wilderness into the world with nothing but that and then you come back and that i think that's an epic right uh, passage and obviously mm-hmm. the children get trained in like survival and stuff and all that stuff anything that's required for that culture and I mean, with the Aborigines in Australia, you had the walkabout as well, where you go out into nature for months at a time um, by yourself, live off the land. And yeah, we don't, we don't really, we don't have that at all. What's really interesting is just a rose before is that, you know, we do take ourselves as like, there is that pridefulness around being like the, we see ourselves as society as the peak and we might be in the peak technologically speaking, but I mean, in terms of human, humanistic values, you could say, or mm-hmm. the strength, the will, just humanhood, um, really not the peak at all. There are so many other cultures than Western society or modern society that are just so much more um, amazing. <laughs> and like yep. learning about the Stoics is really showing me that. You see this in this was is this before christ or or this is after i'm not good with history I, oh that's a good question i think after after so the stoics but like thousands of years ago mm-hmm. um thousand two thousand years ago something like around that ballpark period a long time ago and you have these people which to me it's incredible to have that be able to have that world view as a leader of an of the roman empire it's like that's not something that you have um, these days. Uh, although our leaders, you know, they do, they hold integrity and value as well. Um, that's by David Hawking's calibrations. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's really cool. I, I mean, the our culture I hold in uh, high regard is the, the Eastern cultures who kind of have the, an aspect of being in service to something higher than themselves and, really with like the bowing and the kindness and the generosity and yeah. that that's that's just so cool that's so cool yeah 
Well, there's there's an important point here is like, you know, a lot of Western culture is uh, it's individualistic, right? It prides the individual, whereas some other cultures are more collectivist, right? That it's like put the put the group and the family and the culture first, and um, like what that does is it it breeds a a group of people who are like, no, you can't tell me anything. Like you can't tell me shit right there. There's a huge like disrespect for elders in our our culture. Like, don't tell me anything. All the stuff you did was stupid. And there is an argument where that is correct. Like society in its nature is always outdated because it has to take this and over time, like codify it into a structure. So it is always outdated. You know, you always feel governed by dead people. That is true. Yes. But they figured out a bunch of shit because they went through it and then to avoid having to deal with that again they made structure to address that and if you just throw that whole thing out the door well then all those problems come back up again Mm. like you can't you can't um you can't stay calm in an argument you've lost your ability to self-organize and respond to things you're you know, your relationship with the natural world is all gone because that was also thrown out. You throw out the good stuff as well. And then we see like, to your point, it's like, well, why have we lost things that other cultures had like nailed down flat that we agree were good, like integrity and pursuing ethics and virtue. And it's like, well, because those things have been thrown out from a culture that's just like, well, no, you dead people can't tell me anything. Mm. And it's like, Okay, that's very dangerous though. Tradition actually sticks around for a reason because it solves major problems, like major like meaning of your life, like how to relate to other people, like big things. And yeah, so if you just toss that out, like you backpedal because you now have to solve the problems again because those problems, the fundamental human problems don't go away. Mm. They, they just, they always stay. But if you get rid of all the answers, you got to start from scratch again and again and again. And it just seems silly. And it is because there is, there are gems in ancient wisdom, in your lineages, in elders, right? Like you should, you should take it for what it's worth and be like, Ooh, this, this helped you guys and update it for modern times with shit like a lot of tech, a global, a globally connected world. But like, don't just forget them entirely because it's like, you shouldn't, we shouldn't have to figure out a lot of this stuff again. Mm. Yeah. That's very, it's, it's interesting. It gives a new depth, I guess, to a different dimensionality to human progress. Cause I mean, as learning from it, from university, from high school, really what we're taught is just really progress in terms of technology. That's really the only thing that's considered, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's not, is that, is that all that progress is? and it shouldn't be hmm. do you think there is a uh, coming back to looking at the value of living life by principles and and not away from victimhood or how, how are you seeing the world right now my kind of f- fundamental answer here is we will either choose to do it or we will be forced into it and Unfortunately for a lot of us, we kind of don't do anything until we're forced to. Like, I'm not going to take care of my health until I have a heart attack and nearly die. 
I'm not going to budget my finances until I'm nearly broke, right? It, it takes like the last straw for us to really do something. And when you take that frame and apply it to a global connected world, that's a real problem. Like we're not going to do anything about our relationship with the environment until all the major coastal cities get flooded and people die. Like it really shouldn't take that much. It really shouldn't. We know that the, like we're on a slippery slope with some of this and you'd hope that more people would be like, Ooh, I see where this is going. This is a problem. What can I do right now? How can I show up? And to your point, like there are people slowly doing that. Like that's how we met, man. Like, it's like you're, and it is, it is beautifully reassuring, right? It's like, there are, there are people who are taking it upon themselves to actively seek out whatever, whatever feels or looks like it can be a step in the right direction. And part of the reason it always takes us till the end is because people are so bogged down in their day to day. Like they just don't have space for anything else. It's like, I'm so busy and the world is going crazy and I'm overwhelmed and I'm confused and I'm hurt and I don't know how to process my emotions and my nervous system is fucked. And, and so like to their point, like, cool. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people who are just heads down, like just trying to go day by day. And that is also a result of the system that was built from all, all the shit that we've moved away from. And we need to just look at ourselves and be like, is this, is this what we want? Mm. Like, are we, are we totally stoked with this? Because, you know, at the same time, you ask a lot of people and you can see it in their face. It's like, are you fulfilled? I'm not asking if you're happy. I'm like, are you deeply satisfied with your relationship to yourself, others, and the bigger story? And it's just like, you can kind of tell that a lot of people are just like, well, no, but I don't know anything else. Mm. And that can, that freezes a lot of people. But again, there, there are groups, and there have always been, there have always been groups who are like, all right, well, and this goes back to like the inner work where it's when shit gets real, are you going to panic and run away? Are you going to freeze? Or are you going to rise up? And there are groups, there have always been groups who would be like, okay, no, I'm going to do this. Like if no one else, you look around, it's like, well, if none of you are going to walk towards the answer. I'm going to walk towards the answer. And there definitely are. And you know, there's, there's always a progression in this stuff. You have to, much like the gym is such a wonderful metaphor. Like you're not going to go try to squat like 300 pounds right away, mm. right? Like you're going to start with whatever weight that you can handle and progressively increase your load. So it's like, look, if you're overwhelmed and your body's messed up, start there. Like that is literally, if you want to like, there are a bunch of people, right? I want to save the world. I want to make a difference. Like, okay start with yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not, this is the classic oxygen mask on an airplane thing, right? Don't give air to other people if your mask isn't even on, right? If you can't handle the weight of your own responsibility, do that first. But if you can, if you're composed and you're strong and you're centered and you're grounded, like, okay, well, what can you do for your family, right? Because you'll have the most influence with them outside of yourself. So like, is your family unit in check? Do you have savings? Can you survive a power outage of a week? Like, okay, cool. Your family units put together. All right, what about your neighborhood? Do you even know your neighbors? <laughs> like, what is your community like? Yeah. Like, can you help there? Right? Can you organize meetups and can you do assistance programs? 
And in times of like pandemics like this, can you organize mutual aid groups? Can you help the elderly? Like, and then you, as, as you become more capable of doing this, your capacity increases, right? You're now lifting more weight. And then you can get to the stuff where it's like, okay, our entire world economic system is nuts. It's ridiculous and it's going to blow itself up. Or like our whole notion of infinite growth on a finite planet is a bad equation. What can I now do to actually play a part in some of the l- way larger things? But it's this, it's a step function. It's self, family, friends, community, culture, world. And like, don't, don't jump too far because if you get hurt or you collapse under that, well, then someone has to come take care of you as well when they could have been out doing that. So this is a cliche in the, in the spiritual world too, where it's like, if you want to like change the world, change yourself. And it's like, that's actually completely true. Like that's completely true. Start there. Don't stop there, but make a, become a force to be reckoned with so that you can then hold your own shit. And if other people are struggling, you can also hold their shit. Yeah. And if everyone kind of like mutually up levels like that, well, then you get these super resilient, like amazing societies and a super resilient world where no matter what comes, it's like, we're just like, yeah, okay, I have space for this. I can hold this. I can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. You can, there are people, there are people trying to do this work, right? Really trying to level up and get to that point where they can hold the problems of the world and, and take trips away at them. Hmm. Yeah, well, that it's, it's all very reasonable stuff, isn't it? Uh, all very reasonable. It's like uh, there was a spiritual master in in Australia. He travels the world, and he's I was drawn to him because of his simple message, and it was just um, world peace comes when everyone has reached inner peace. So simple, right? When everyone has inner peace, there will be world peace. <laughs> that's how it's not peace as a thing that's talked about. Peace is an actual embodiment. Everyone embodies peace. Yep. They are peaceful people talking about world peace but have you worked on your own peace <laughs> it's the same similar stuff this yeah lots of cool i guess stuff was stitched together as you were talking it was quite beautiful yeah in terms of building resilient societies we could say everyone obviously has to be resilient themselves and then the whole the whole can benefit from all of this um this all just seems like reasonable stuff and then you know what also occurred to me was it was actually, I was never told about it in school. It was like a, just a constant, constant download of information, of verbatim information without really any meaning to it. There, there's no context. Mm-hmm. There's no context to put it all into meaning. There's only content. There's only more information, more information. This is actually what is really empowering about this. You know, all, all kids, right? Uh, the child is the hero archetype, right? And you go on the hero's journey and all this. And it's like, every, every kid is like, yeah, I want to change the world. Yeah. I want to, I want to save it. I want to do so much. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be that one. And the amazing thing about it is like, you can actually be the hero and the steps you need to take are extremely basic. Like let's use a very, just a, it's a timely example. Like this whole the whole coronavirus stuff, right? If you want to be the hero, like stay at home, right? Help other people if they need it. Manage your own emotions so that you're not freaking out 
And then maybe you can increase your capacity enough so you can help other people manage their emotions. None of those is overwhelming. None of those is like, go change the entire economic system. Go change the entire supply chain management of the world. None of it. It's all extremely basic, but it's exactly what is needed right now. And so that is the huge opportunity that people have. It's like, look, if you actually want to save the world, like, A, save yourself. Stop being a mess, right? Stop freaking out all the time. And B, just take the extremely basic steps in front of you. Like, say hi to people on the street. It's not a joke. Like, it's not a joke. These things multiplied by the whole of humanity is nuts. It's mm. nuts. And you can't expect anyone else to do it if you're not going to do it yourself. <laughs> so honestly, honestly, do it yourself. And it's great. Like, yeah, you want to you save the world? You want to change it for the better? Cool. Take the really small steps in front of you that you know that you should do. Super easy. Yeah, with the coronavirus, for example, how is fear going to help anything? It doesn't help, doesn't help anything. In fact, when you look at into like whole biology of belief, Bruce Lipton, all this stuff, you see that start to see that fear actually, it actually it creates this funny cycle where your fear of the thing increases the likelihood of you having it. <laughs> and then that propagates the fear and you're stuck in a loop. It's because you see that indulgence of the child, the mm-hmm. tantrum kicking. It's just the indulgence. Um, really just name it as an indulgence and just kind of see. I mean, that's why I love the work of David Hawkins. He puts it so well because he, he tells you to you how it is, but in a loving way with a humor. Wherever you are right now, you, you are there because of your choice, which comes to the stoicism as well. It's mm-hmm. Your attitudes have been your choice. It's, it's a funny one because to make any change, you first have to have the perception that you have the power to change have the perception that you have the power to change you have to take responsibility for your attitudes in a community i'm part of i can see people how they have their businesses their businesses are on halt and they're saying they're very open about what how, how they're feeling say um part of me wanted to um is kind of was stressed out was anxious but they because they're conscious of that they could then say well is that what i want no what i want instead is to use this as a growth opportunity mm-hmm. <laughs> this is an opportunity to grow to explore new things and that's really just all about attitudes and that seems to me the core of stoicism which is absolutely beautiful to learn about um yeah so thank you for all all that have you got any other words about the stoics any f- cool stories oh wow um i did have two other uh, as as the conversation continued i had two other challenges that came up that can be mm. uh, really helpful you know, one, one big fear that, that, um, people often have is like speaking in public, like looking, looking ridiculous, which has like a kind of historical basis, right? If the tribe didn't like you and you got kicked out, you're basically dead. Humans aren't very good at surviving by themselves. So yeah, you know, social exile is a real fear and, you know, if people don't like you, you feel like you're being exiled. So people understandably have a super big fear of it. But nowadays, right, you're supported by so much culture that that's not really, not really necessary. So what you can do is like, and it sounds silly. And again, super easy, like buy a ridiculous outfit, like buy a really stupid hat or like a pink pair of pants or something and like go walk around downtown and get some really weird looks, like get some weird looks and just, and just realize that nothing has changed, that you have not been harmed in any way. And so this, again, like the training exercise where it's like, okay, I have a fear of looking stupid in front of other people, 
But if I practice actively, consciously looking stupid in front of other people and realize that it's all good, that whole scary monster of fear just goes away because it's like, oh, I was afraid of nothing this whole time because I'm not going to die. I'm not going to be injured. Like, it's all good. Cool. So that can be a really fun practice. The other thing that they did amazingly was, they called it the premeditation of death. Like, actually coming to terms with the fact that you're going to die and that all the people in your life are going to die and everyone you've ever met is going to die. And like actually just like sitting and like meditating on it, like try, try like thinking, try just fast forwarding your life in your head. Like, all right, I'm going to be 40 and then I'm going to be 50 and my energy is going to go down. I might have some like joint problems, 60 might need a cane. Like, Ooh. And then, you know, possibility I could be in a senior's home and like sleeping all the time. And then damn, yeah, if I have a wife and I die, like she's going to be left alone and that's going to hurt her. And then people are going to have to come to my funeral. And you just like go through the whole thing and you just become more and more like, all right, yeah, this is going to happen. And the best part about it is you snap out of that and you realize you're still right here right now. And life becomes so much more vibrant for you because you're like, okay, that that's a reality and it's coming. I better actually make the most of this. This is a gift and it's not guaranteed forever. <coughs> so let's show up for it. Because mm. that's so much of our lives now, right? The whole escapism thing, like running away from life, basically running away from the reality of death. It's like, well, if I don't show up for life, I can't die at the end of it. It's like, well, A, that's not true. B, that's probably not a great way to go about your life. And C, like if you actually turn towards it and you walk towards it confidently being like, yeah, I'm I'm coming for you. I see you coming for me. I'm coming too, but I'm going to have a damn good time while I'm here <laughs> and really show up for all the other people. You know, Ramdas had this great line of just, uh, we are all walking each other home. Mm, yeah. I love that one. So good. It's so good. Cause it's like, dude, what else are you doing here, man? Mm-hmm. You're doing your own relationship and you're showing up for other people and kind of all your work, all of culture, all of everything is basically just done in service of that. And so again, a very, very powerful exercise and just yeah you know we have a great deal of respect for stoicism and again as as you've highlighted a lot in this it's like it is it is the tactical practical level of living life it's not the theoretical nonsense it's like things are going to go wrong what am i going to do who am i going to be when those times come awesome like it's it's just preparation for life and so yeah it's an extremely useful tool in the toolkit yeah it sounds like a thank you for informing me all this insight into this I've, I've got new dimensionalities new insights into things differently it's funny as i hear more and more angles you could say of the same thing mm-hmm. it starts to come together a lot you know and things sometimes it's just like a small thing and it just comes into mind and then it goes away but it kind of you can feel that it's just stacking up this knowledge base, which is very, very awesome. It's more like an intuitive understanding base than a knowledge base, actually. Um, so it's been an absolute pleasure to learn about stoicism and your very awesome views and ability to explain it in a way that is, you can see that it's just a, it's just really about being human and what it means to be human and how do you make the most of it before the inevitability of death. Sim- simple <laughs> what's the simplest thing the listener can do the simplest the least action that they can take 
to really apply the principles, the core, the essence of stoicism. Oh, that's a great one. Honestly, um, applies to applies to the stoic one and immediately it came up because it is always the base that I return to is meditate. It's not a joke. It's not airy fairy. It's not woo woo stuff. It is sitting with the reality of the present moment very, very clearly and watching it come up. You watch discomfort come up. You watch your twitch to busyness come up. You watch all the doubts and the fears come up and you let them move along, right? It's just the watching, right? It's just the observing without interpreting. And that is the, that is the hub that all the spokes of your life will come from. Like just, just detached observation, noticing what comes up, noticing if you want to pay attention to it or let it go. Like it is the fundamental starting point for everything. So honestly, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, the fancy like burning incense, you know, sit on your cushion in Lotus. Like it's like, dude, sit on your chair, count to 10 with your breaths. So like inhale one, exhale one, inhale two, exhale two. And you will see how hard it is to get to 10 without being lost in thought. And it's, it's a practice. It's a resiliency training for focus and mind and peace. And yeah, honestly, like that is the, that is the foundation of all foundations. Awesome. Simple one. Sweet. All right. And with that, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Joyfulness Broadcast. Now go out there, be radiant, be joyful, be your best self and catch the next episode. There'll be at least one episode per week. Follow on Facebook to get live updates and take part in the community. Otherwise, type in Joyfulness Broadcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store and you'll find us there. Until next time.